0: But you think that the only other option is what I'm going to call the quasi-Christian option, which basically is just a giant no. Don't do it. And that's a terrible option. Because you're like, we want to do it. We're in college. Please let us do it. And so what I want to give you is a third option. The true Christian position. And that is that God is pro-sex. He's all about it. In fact, he designed it. He would like for you to experience it at some point in your life, but within a certain context, so that you can have pleasurable sex without regret. All right, you guys leaning in? Let's go. So the big idea is that sex is a good gift from God that I have you, is that sex is designed by God. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I think that sometimes our conception of God's view of sex is that he made this man and this woman completely naked in the Garden of Eden. And then he's looking down from heaven and he's like, what are you guys doing? I never thought of that when they started having sex. That is not the picture that we get in Genesis. We have God... Making a man and a woman, we found out later that they are naked and they feel no shame. And the first commandment that God gives to the people in His image is to have sex. Why? He tells them to have sex because there is something very profound that God is communicating to. Human beings through our experience of sex. The meaning of God creating us in his image as sexual beings is that we have opportunity to experience some of what it is like to be God. See, God exists eternally in three persons, and yet as one God, which means One of the things that most characterizes God is intimacy, complete oneness. And he wants us as human beings to experience that. It's just that there's something different about us and God. And that is that we are, in addition to being spiritual beings, we are also physical beings. We learn from scripture that God is invisible. That is, he doesn't have a body. But we have bodies, so God wants us to experience oneness and intimacy with our spouse in the context of marriage, not just sort of at an intellectual and a spiritual level, but also in the deepest possible way at the physical level. So part of what it means to image God is to be a sexual being and to express that in marriage. It is totally and completely his design. So, a desire to have sex, far from being gross or wrong, is a good thing. Because sex is a good gift from our good God. And he wants you to enjoy that gift the way that he wants you to enjoy every gift that he has given you within the proper contact text so that you can experience it to the full. He loves you. He designed that. And so I want you, as part of the application of this message, maybe for the first time, to be able to thank God without shame that he has made you a sexual being. And to say, wow. This was your design. And to repent of this perverted thing that we have in our mind that God is somehow like the cosmic referee who's just trying to break up all the sexual relationships. That is not true. It is his idea he wants us to enjoy. So why did he give us this gift? You know, the the second thing we're going to talk about is that part of God's intent in giving us this gift of sex is that sex is intended for pleasure. Read with me this beautiful passage in Proverbs 5, 18 through 20. Okay, this is a father having a frank conversation with his son about sex. His son is unmarried, and he is writing to him to give him a vision of what he wants his sexual relationship to be like with his wife one day. He says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So this is a model for Christian parenting. Now, I think that a lot of Your Christian parents, although they were well-meaning, had a very different conversation about sex than this with you, specifically you young men. They did not give you a vision that included pleasure, but gave you a list of rules, and almost all of them had the word no in them. And so basically, the Christian mindset can easily become this list of rules and to have a negative view of sex. That is not something that I am supposed to do. And what you create in your mind is that your sexual desires are therefore weird or dirty. And Solomon looks at his son and has a very different conversation with him. Yes, there is a warning in the text. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? But the vast majority of this text is not a warning, it's a vision. And he gives him a picture of what married sex was designed to be by God. I loved, in prepping this message, reading what different commentators had to say about this text. So specifically, the text starts with, let your fountain Be blessed. Now, you guys are smart. Going to college. And my thought is you're smarter than some of the theologians that I was reading. See, they were saying the fountain is like the fruit of a righteous life. The fountain is the blessing of living as a family man. talking about a (laughs) penis. Like, it's just straight up, that's what he's talking about. Okay, just before this, he said, should your springs of water be scattered abroad in the streets? Okay, and he's talking about sex, like, that's the context. Like, I'm just interpreting the Bible, okay? (laughs) Okay? Just interpreting the Bible the way that I always do. Just trying to be straight up with you guys. He's saying, listen, water is a scarce resource in that day. Hey son, here's the thing. Do you just take the precious resource in your house as water and do you just go around and just throw it into the streets? No, you don't go throw it in the streets. Here's what he's saying. Your sexuality is a precious resource. Your semen I sent him. Is a precious thing. And you shouldn't just go squirt that cell up and, and, and that's what he's saying. That is literally what he's saying. He's saying you should save that for your wife. Don't go taking your fountain anywhere you want to take it. Keep it at home why look what he says he says let your family be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth okay saying here's the thing that girl that you marry or that you will marry she is precious and there was a time when you were in that dating phase of your relationship, you were in that intoxication phase of your relationship where she was the only girl that you wanted. And I want you to think about her like that and value her in that way for your entire life. Because, and he uses a culturally appropriate way, it was not the way we would describe women, but I'm sure this was beautiful to his son. He describes her as a lovely deer a graceful doe. And then here's what he says. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. See, here's what I want for you son. Like the very thing that you want, the reason that you're looking at all these different girls and you're tempted to have sex with them is because you like their boobs. He's saying, I want that same thing for you, but don't go grabbing all of them. Wait for your wife. Wait for your wife. And then, here's what I want you to experience in sexual intimacy with your wife. Be intoxicated with love. Get drunk on that girl. Like, enjoy yourself. Spend a long time in that place and do everything that your heart desires to do with her. As long as she's up for it. (laughs) He's saying, man, like this is, guys, this is the furthest thing from a no culture. This is a father talking to his son and having this real talk with him about Sex. Here's the thing. It is awesome for me to be a dad because I'm already starting to have these conversations with my kids, all right, in an appropriate way. My kids are 13, 11, twin nine year olds, and etc. Okay. But even today, okay, I went out to lunch, or it's actually kind of an after school snack with my daughter Ari. Right, we went to McDonald's, and I got. A large French fry for us to split, and a diet coke. And I put two straws in the diet coke, and we like each drank on a straw. And just talked, right? And I, I just asked her. She's in third grade. She used to be. I said, so are the are, are you girls like your friends and stuff? You like the boys at school? And she's like, I mean, I don't really, but the you know, she, well, what she means, you know, she's telling on one of her friends. What she means is, yeah, I do. <laughs> But she's like, yeah, but my friend Tessa, she likes a boy. And you know that on, on the playground, this one girl and this one boy kissed each other. Are you serious? She's like, yeah. I was like, did you see it? <laughs> she's like, yeah. I'm like, Do you? And, and what I tell her all the time, this wasn't part of this conversation, but I just want to have that open conversation with her, like see where she's at, right? But I've had different conversations. With my daughter Aria, daughter. Right, so my 13 year old daughter's gone puberty, so my girls were just talking openly about how my older daughter was developing in front of me. And so I said to my nine year old daughters, I said, Mike, do you girls look forward to getting, getting boobs? And they said, <laughs> No. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm like, Well, maybe when you get a few years older, you're not going to think that maybe you'll actually want, want And they're like, no, there's no way. That's fine. That's, that's but here's the thing. I want my kids to want to talk to me about their sexuality throughout their life. Not as one big conversation like the sex talk, but I want to give them a vision for their sexuality in their life. I think my mom actually did a really good job at this when I was growing up. I remember as a teenage boy, my mom telling me, she said, Drew, do you know that one day there is going to be a woman who is going to be a woman who want to jump on you and have sex with her? And I remember seriously like being like, Are you serious? <laughs> 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 so, so. But what was she doing? She was doing the same thing that this good dad was good dad doing this? Why was my mom doing that? Why am I doing that for my kids in an age-appropriate way? Because they want for their kids amazing sex without any regret. Do you see what Solomon says in the text? He wants his fountain to be blessed. He's saying, okay, you can experience... Intoxicating, enjoyable sex outside of the context of marriage. But those choices will not be blessed. They will lead to deep regret. And he's saying, this is what I want for you. I want sex without regret. Pleasure without the baggage." Okay, sex is designed by God. Sex is intended for pleasure. And the third thing we see in 1 Corinthians 6 is that sex is a covenant renewal ceremony. Okay, look with me at verses 16 through 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body of God? You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, so Paul is writing this passage to a sexually disoriented pagan culture. They believe the same thing that our wider culture believes about sex. They thought that the purpose of sex was just self-expression and pleasure. Homosexuality was normal in that culture, premarital sex was normal, and sex with prostitutes or adultery was also a normal practice in that culture. So people thought basically sex is just a recreational activity where I satisfy my sexual desires, where I express myself and then I move on, which is the same thing that our culture believes. Paul says... sexually immoral, you become one with that person. Whoever it is. So you can say, this is just a recreational activity, I just have sex with the person, and then I move on. But Paul's saying, no one can actually do that. And that's because something deeply spiritual is happening whenever you engage in sexual activity with someone. You are saying to them what is actually a lie. That is, I am 100% committed to it. God designed sex to be a covenant renewal ceremony in this sense. You are meant to get married, say vows to your spouse, and one of those vows will be, never will I leave you, never will I forsake. And then you will say, till death do us part. So you make this commitment, and then you have sex. And what you're doing in sex is you're renewing your vows every time you do it. You're saying to your spouse, see, I'm giving myself to you again. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Again, 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 throughout your entire marriage. Through every season of your life, God has meant for sex... To not be self-expression, but self-donation. I'm giving myself to you. Again. My body, soul, spirit, finances, forgiveness, everything. So when you have sex, outside of the context of marriage, you are saying to that person, I give myself to you fully with your body. And then you're walking away, and you're going back to your life. And in some cases, you're never seeing that person again. But your soul cannot let that experience go. See, what we think is that having casual, hookup relationships with people is like putting two post-it notes together. Put two post-it notes together, it's very easy. You can just pull them right back apart. So you come together, you have sex, you pull the post-it notes apart, no harm. Like neither post-it note affected the other one's shape at all. They just came together, pull them right apart. Here's what Paul saying sex actually is. It's like taking two postcards and super gluing them together and letting them set for an hour and then try to pull them apart. What happens? They're all over each other. And I think that that can give expression to why there is such deep shame in a room like this as soon as somebody starts talking about sex. This is what Tim Keller, said about this passage and about this reality. He said, in his worldview, that's Paul's, in contrast to the world corn the purpose of sex is not personal self-expression in order to be happy, but personal self-donation in order to imitate God. As a witness to the gospel of the kingdom. He says what makes sex with a prostitute wrong is that sex always obligates giving of self. Sex without the giving of oneself is a monstrosity, akin to a body walking around without a head. It is impossible to have sex with someone outside of God's design without there being deep pain and regret attached to that experience. So the question is, What do you do if you're in that place? I am a sexual (coughs) sinner talking to sexual sinners. I'm not talking down to you guys, but I'm in a sense sitting beside you guys. And in this moment feeling the same tension that you are. Because I have sinned with my eyes and with my sexual organs time and time again throughout my life. So what do we do? Paul says something really surprising. He doesn't just say, okay, stop doing all those wicked things, you dirty people. He actually says the exact opposite of that. He says, flee sexual immorality. And then he says something really profound. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is? Who the Holy Spirit is? It is God donating Himself to you. See, what happened at the cross is Jesus fully committed Himself to you, He gave Himself you, even though you were still a sinner, even though you were still a sexual sinner. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, engaging in sexual immorality, Christ died for us. And he didn't wait for you to clean up your life before he came to live in you, before he planted his seed in you, before he became close to you and engage in an intimate relationship with you, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Which means there's a greater story than your sexual sin story. There is a greater union that has taken place in your life than all of the cheap sexual experiences that you've had, and all the regrets, and all of the baggage. You are more one with Jesus, then you are one with anyone else. Jesus claims your soul back. He says, you're mine. You're not theirs. You're not the person who you once were. I bought you with a price. You're mine. You are not a sexual sinner anymore. You are my child. I love you. You've been washed clean. Which means we all stand in Christ pure. Which means you don't have to go back to that place again. You don't have to go back to that sin again. You don't have to go back there again. Your are Pastor Matt Matiam tells the story that really impacted me the first time share with you. He was 19 years old, and he was at a large Christian conference. He had just come to know Jesus. And there was a pastor who was speaking at the conference who evidently did not understand the gospel message. And the pastor was giving a message on sex, and he drove home the point that anything outside of God's design was sexual morality. And As an illustration, he took a rose and he passed it around this entire auditorium of people. And he waited for that rose to come back up onto the stage with him. And he said, This is like so many of you that have committed so much sexual immorality and done so many awful things. And he said, Who would want this rose? And that's where he left the message. And Matt Chandler was in the crowd, 19 years old. And he said, everything in him wanted to yell, Jesus wants the rose. Jesus wants the rose. See, the gospel message, the message of Christianity is not, you're dirty, so clean yourself up. You're messed up, or you have messed up, and there's no hope for you. It's that in your brokenness, Jesus wants you. He cleans you up. And here's what he wants to do. He wants to give you so much self-confidence, so much belief that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. That you are created in His image and after His likeness, and that He loves you. That you no longer need any man or any woman's approval. And in that place, you are ready to give yourself in marriage to somebody else. Waiting for sex to satisfy your heart, it never will, even in marriage. But if Jesus has satisfied your soul and is satisfying your soul, then you can give yourself to someone else and they can give themselves to you without any reservation. And that's God's design. He wants two whole people giving themselves sexually one another, intoxicated by one another's love because they have been loved by Jesus and he showed them how to do that. Let's pray that that would be the case. God, um, I know my own sexual brokenness more than I know anyone else's in this world. And I think that for me it comes down to Believing that I am a better God than you are. That I understand what is good for me better than you understand what is good for me. And so thank you for showing us, once again in your word, that you are not holding anything back for us. That you want what's best for us. That you want our our sexual futures to be blessed. You want us to enjoy the good gifts that you have given us. But God, we need healing. And I'm asking that you would come into this room specifically just people that are, are cloaked with shame and keep running back to sexual pleasure to try to fill that emptiness in themselves. Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come as we worship you? Maybe people need to to just kneel and just confess their sin. Maybe they need to confess it at campus group this week. Maybe they need to confess it to a friend. Just get it off their chest. Maybe they need to confess it to you, God. But would you come into this room by your spirit and would you heal us, God? We don't think that you're just a legend who used to change people's lives by your spirit in the past. But we believe that you are alive, that you are here, and that you want to purify us. So God, I, I invite you into this place. This place and I just ask that people would experience the shame just lifting off of them, the joy flooding into them, your pleasure in them just overwhelming them, that they could walk out a new, confident person ready to pursue your design in all areas of their life, but especially in this area of so. Pray that this would be a life-changing moment for people, where everything changes. I pray that people would break up with boyfriends, girlfriends that are, are leading them into immorality. Pray that people would make crazy choices, putting phone blockers on uh, to block out porn, and, and just that you would do something radical in people's lives, that they would be changed. Forever, that instead of brokenness, there would be the blessing that you promised. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're gonna worship together in response. I'm a sexual sinner too. I mean, we're there's so many of